we're continuing with Jesus uh, with divine timing, and I want to talk about Jesus and divine timing today. Jesus and divine timing, and uh, I would like to read from Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. And verse 16 to 21, Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and, and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. We've been experimenting with that in the last couple of uh, Months, I, I use the New King James and the NLT in, in preparing and teaching. Okay, so here we see that Jesus had returned from Nazareth and uh, he went to his, the village, sorry, he has re returned from the wilderness and went to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. And the Bible says he went as usual, as usual. This is something that he has always been doing uh, to the synagogue and there he sat and he uh, uh, he, he stood to read the word and then he sat down and began to uh, teach them. But before then, he said that today, this scripture, he read from Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesied that the spirit of the Lord is upon him as Christ and that he had anointed him to bring the good news to the poor. Jesus went to the place where it was prophesied regarding him and he declared it to the people and said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. See, at that time, Divine timing for the revelation of Christ as the, as, as the Savior had come. Remember before now, the angel Gabriel came 30 years prior to this day and announced to her about his birth. And then we see all that happened after. And then we get, he gets to the point where he's baptized by John, his cousin, and all of this. And then he goes to the wilderness, has 40 days of fasting, be tempted by the enemy. He comes out, victory over Satan, and he comes out and he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. And then he says this after reading the scriptures that apply to him. Friends, divine timing is key and important for every one of us. Is there something God has told you? Is there a message? Is there a word? Is there a prophetic word? Is there something that you are believing God for? Or is there something you are praying about? God has his calendar for your life. In fact, we are not to compare ourselves. The Bible says they that compare themselves with themselves are not what? They are not wise. But as human beings, we get into these comparisons. We see the cars our houses that our siblings live in, older or younger. We see uh, what somebody else in uh, co-workers are driving and how many trips they're taking a year without really wondering what's their plan, what is our plan, what's their goal, what is our goal, where do we want to go, where do they want to go. And so we get into this thing where we're competing with one in the, even in the church. We look at people, we become envious of someone else just because they, uh, they're just a certain way that we're not. Whereas we should actually focus and realize that God has a time for us. I want to start by saying that while God alone knows the timing of things in his power, his timing appears connected to the right person, the right place, and the right thing. I want you to say with me, right person, 
right place, right time, uh, right thing, sorry, right thing. Then the right time and the right uh, uh, resource and the right result will come. But there has to be the right person. And I want to give an example of this right person, right place, right thing. See, the right person, right place, right thing as a summary equation can't force God's hand. But it's essential for when divine timing comes. It's not like when you do the right thing, you're in the right place, and, and suddenly it just happens. That's not what this, uh, it's not that kind of mathematical equation. All I'm saying is, you need all of this in play for God to do what he wants to do. He will do it anyway, anyhow, but it may take time because you have to be aligned. What the right person, right place, and right thing does is to align us. Because if we're not aligned to heaven, we don't receive from heaven. Heaven is about alignment. We have to be aligned. Jeremiah is it that talks about line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. We have to be aligned. An example of what I'm talking about here is uh, Peter. Peter in Jerusalem, continuing in prayer with the other disciples, resulted in Pentecost being outpoured. There was a promise in Joel that uh, Joel the prophet spoke about the, uh, God pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. It happened in the book of Acts uh, chapter 2. The, we find the account there. But before then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples, he said, look, you stay in Jerusalem. He used the word wait, right? Wait in Jerusalem. Don't just run around doing things. Just wait for the promise of who? The promise of the Father. So the Bible says that there were about 120 of them who met regularly in a certain place. And one day... While they were meeting, what were they doing? They were, the Bible said they continued in prayer. While they were meeting in their usual continuing in prayer, one day they heard a mighty uh, sound, a, 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 a loud sound from heaven and a mighty rushing wind coming from heaven and filling that house. And each of them had tongues of fire or, or flames of fire on their heads. And they began to speak in this in other languages. And people who heard them when they came out were mocking them, right? But see what I'm trying to say here. There was Peter, a person, the right person, the person called of God, whom God had prepared with all his failures, with all his, you know, immaturity, with all of the things. He stumbled forward, sometimes crawled forward, sometimes ran forward, sometimes even too fast forward. But in all of it, God molded him and prepared him to still be the vessel this is why you can't discount yourself and say, oh, I'm not, you know, I can't, I can't do it. Because if God has called you, he's going to work on you, work in you, prepare you for what he has prepared for you. And so uh, Peter in Jerusalem, so Peter is a person, Jerusalem is a place. Jerusalem is where the promise was to be poured, not in Syria. Not in Nigeria at that time, if Nigeria existed. Not in Canada at that time, if Canada existed. No, no, no. It was to start where? In Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Among a group of Jewish people, 120 of them, there was going to be an outpouring. There was 500 other disciples, the Bible tells us, that Jesus appeared to bodily. But it was this 120 that were chosen specifically in God's wisdom, in God's purposes, and in God's timing. Right person, right place, right thing. What was the right thing? They were in prayer. Now, does it make any sense? All this while they had been used to going out, following the master, the Yeshua, the rabbi, 
praying for people, casting out devils, multiplying food, walking on water, stilling storms, casting out devils from uh, uh, the madman of Gadara. They watched all this in the dead being raised, the, the blind being healed, the deaf being, you know, unstopped and the mute can speak. All of these things happening. They, they saw that. The excitement of being part of a successful engagement and suddenly from nowhere he leaves. He told them he would leave. I think they're like anyone. Leaving is always painful. But Jesus had to go. Now they had to wait. And waiting is one of the hardest things. How many of you wait for doctors? You know in that waiting room sometimes it's, it can be hard. Because you're supposed to be in the doctor's office at 11.30. You get there for 11.20. But then you don't see the doctor until 10 minutes to 12. Or sometimes even uh, 12.15. You wait. Sometimes you have to wait for, to get gas. Uh, you know, there's somebody there who's just like, well, are you going to leave or no? You know, and they go in and then they're talking and talking and talking and you're wondering, come on. I, you know, it's my turn here. I've seen people reverse and then go to the next one that's free because, you know, they're just tired of waiting. Jesus said, wait, wait, wait for divine timing. So there's a right person, a right place and a right thing. Now, the thing they were doing, they were praying. And I'm like, why would Jesus ask us to do this? Why didn't he just nah, release the power and tell us from now on? You see, as I leave, you guys just run into the city and just run around. Do whatever. Just go. I'm with you. No, structure, order. Things must be done in order. That God had planned it. That's the way it's going to be. Each of us should carry the Holy Spirit in us. That's what God planned. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit from that day. So it led to an outpouring that had to be a right person, a right place, and doing what? The right thing. So here are seven keys, or seven things, seven key things about divine timing in Jesus' life. If we say that Jesus had to wait for divine timing, that it was only when he was 30 that he stepped into his ministry, only when he was about 30 that he was baptized by his cousin, second or third cousin, John the Baptist, and he comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and all that. If he had to wait, here's the thing. There are certain things we see in Jesus' life. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 52, we find this, you know, that he came back. They had gone to Jerusalem for the feast and he was missing for three days. They went back to look for him. And then the Bible says that he told them that, shouldn't I be about my, uh, his parents, shouldn't I be about my father's business? So he followed them back home. Now, at the age of 12, Jesus already knew who he was. He says, shouldn't I be about my father's business? So he went back home with them. And when he got home, the Bible says that he was obedient to them. The King James Version says he was subject to them. So he didn't just say, now understand in the Jewish culture, at the age of 12, children have what they call, boys have what they call the bar mitzvah. That's when they are considered to be men. Between the age of 12 and 15, there's a lot of rapid growth that takes place because of what they're exposed to. All right? Now, at that age also, they start engaging in uh, rites in the synagogue. They participate in reading scriptures. They participate in serving and doing all of these things. And Jesus was right there. And then at 13, if they find, between 12 and 13, if they find that the, they are gifted, remember they didn't all have the printed scriptures. So a lot of memory, they, they learned the Torah by memorizing, by uh, wrote, they repeated until they memorized it. 
Okay, there was a copy in the synagogue. So at the, in the time of Jesus, the young kids at 12, 13, many of them have already memorized several verses of the Torah by heart. Now watch this. He could have been one of the gifted ones who would have been taken by a rabbi because the most gifted of them are now taken by a rabbi. And the rabbi will say, you are so gifted in understanding and reciting the Torah. You will now be traveling with me on my circuit. That's how Hannah took her son Samuel to Eli. Remember? So you, you now travel around with the rabbi and learn from that rabbi. That's how the apostle Paul also was brought up by Gamaliel, a scholar of the law. So Jesus could have been one of those gifted children who would have been held back in Jerusalem by those people. He would have said, you know what? I'm so gifted. I want to be one of the children. Let me stay. Because he was talking with the doctors of the law, discussing with them, and they were amazed at his understanding. So tradition, culture would have allowed him to go with them. And that would be bye-bye. And he would continue his life from then on. But the Bible says he came back home and was obedient to his parents. <laughs> the question is, how submitted are we to God's counsel or to those that God has put over us? The second thing is that he served in the synagogue regularly. He served in the synagogue on a regular basis. We already see that. that the Bible says, as his custom was, usual, uh, usually, that's what he would do. He had been known to be one who served in the synagogue. The people in Nazareth knew that he served in the synagogue from when he was young. How many people know that you serve in your church? Does your family mock you for serving in church? Do they mock you for uh, helping out? That's how many people drop out of church because their children start laughing at them. I know one woman who said, you know, I came to your church, I enjoyed it so much, but ah, my son was making fun of me that am I now one of those religious nuts? And that's how she gave it up. She said, mm, I can't stand it. She prefers her son to lead her than she lead her son. Okay, so are we serving in the synagogue on a regular basis? The synagogue Think about the church. That's where people gathered. That's where they heard the word of God. That's where they did their praying, their worship. Are we serving in our local assemblies? Are we giving in our local assemblies? Are we doing what we ought to do? I'm so excited for September. We have a foundation course coming up. And uh, we have a, a number of people who are joining in. I think we have four people who are going to take the foundation course. And then we'll uh, be, be moving forward with that. It's, it's, it's beautiful to see. You know, Are we serving in the synagogue regularly, in the church regularly? The other thing about I see, number three, is that at the age of 12, Jesus was missing for three days. I've said that. I want you to think of the word missing. Say that, missing. Do you know you can deliberately go missing? Missing from all your appointments. Missing from all your, you know. You, you can put a hold on life and take time away from all of the things that distract you. Put your phone away, tuck it somewhere, um, shut down your computer, and just say, God, it's just me and you. Grab a Bible, your notebook, and just say, I just want to hear from the Lord. You could take three hours to go missing. Children, don't call me, don't talk to me, don't, and just shut it, shut the world out. So that you can think. It was when he was missing that the parents were looking for him. He was engaged in depth, uh, conversations of depth with people who had had, for decades, had been reading the Torah. 
He was there with them and talking about these things and they were amazed at it. You see, friends, if we make time for God, he will pour out of himself into us. But we're always busy running around from helter skelter here and there. We won't get to that point where we'll experience God the way we should. Okay? And then he submitted to his second cousin, John the Baptist's ministry, in order to access his own calling. He submitted to his second cousin, John the Baptist's ministry, in order to access his own calling. John the Baptist was baptizing people. He submitted to his ministry. He agreed to be baptized so that he could access his own ministry. Do you know that you can never access what God fully has for you if you are not ready to walk with someone else? You know, there's people who have started their own business. I know a guy once, he said, oh, you know, I'm going to start my own painting business. I said, oh, so what do you want to do? You know, he said, I've got to get myself a truck first. I said, oh, really? Why do you have to get yourself a truck first to do a painting business? He says, oh, yeah, you know, I put my, my company name on it and everything, and then I can go look for jobs. I said, well, that's your first mistake. You want to get a, 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 you want to start doing painting. You learn painting, but why is it a truck you need first? Why don't you use your car that you have right now? And then I said, look, what you need first is jobs, not a truck. Let somebody give you a room to paint. You don't need a truck to haul a gallon of paint to go paint a room. You can put that in the trunk of your car. And you need your painter's uniform. That's, what you, that's how you paint. I said, um, you know, but he was like, you know, I just, his mindset was a truck. So he could have the company name on it. A few years later, I met him. He was still singing the same song. He hadn't moved forward. He was still stuck where he was. Because he never really worked properly with anybody. But he wanted to run his own gig. The same thing with church. People have ministries. They just get up. Oh, yeah, I'm starting a ministry. I'm they never learned from anybody. They've never submitted to anybody. They've never served. You have to pour it on somebody else's hands. For God to lift you up. That's the way it works. There has to be an Eli Elijah for an Elisha. There has to be an Elisha for an Elijah. Very important. Okay. Jesus also fasted for 40 days in the wilderness and within which he resisted the devil's temptation. Okay. He fasted. I've been talking about fasting. As, as Christians, we, it's essential that we look for time and opportunities to fast off food and off other things and just take time to spend in prayer and with God. It's very important. It's something you can do. And you see, this is the thing. The thing the devil fights the most is where you are going to be effective. He knows that if you engage prayer and fasting, you are going to have a lot of victory. So he, he does everything. All those, all those difficulties that are around you are all the enemy's distractions to stop you from doing the very thing. If the Son of God had to fast for 40 days, why, why are we thinking that is, we, we, we can you know, do it otherwise? If you don't have a medical condition, if you're not on a certain medication that limits your ability, I don't see why Christians should not engage. It says, when you fast. When you fast. All right. Not if you. And then he grew in favor with God and man. May God grant us favor in Jesus' name. Do I hear any amen to that? You need favor. You know, I've described favor before. I've told you that I used uh, you know, money and um, purchase, purchasing something with money to describe favor. And I said, if you wanted to buy a wheelbarrow and you went to, to, to the, uh, uh, um, the store, a Home Depot or somewhere, you say, look, I want that wheelbarrow. It's $120. Do 
but I, I don't have, I only have $80 or whatever, and they give you a discount of $40, you just receive favor. They didn't plan a discount that day, there was no sale, but they gave you that. Then you went to a car store, uh, a car shop, and you wanted to buy a van for $35,000 or whatever it's cost, and uh, the owner comes out and says, oh yeah, I like your family, I like your kids, you know? So I'm gonna give you five grand off. You see the difference between the uh, wheelbarrow, the favor there you go was 5,000, that's more. More favor. And then when you want to buy a house, the house is worth 400000 and the, the building company says, yeah, for some reason, we don't know what it is. You know, you know, it's God at work giving you favor. They say, we're going to give you a $50,000 discount. Well, who does that? It's worth four hundred fifty. No, 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 no. For some reason, we feel that we should do something for somebody. It's not four fifty. you pay four hundred thousand. You find that you're moving into the house, you already have equity of $50,000. You see, the favor you receive over the wheelbarrow is favor, but you have grown in favor to the point that that favor was you were able to um, purchase a home because of favor. So that's, that's the thing. May we grow in favor. Uh, in all respects in Jesus' mighty name. People in business need favor. It's favor that brings people through your doors. All right, and then he, he, uh, he was full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. We need all of these things. As we move with God, we should seek out, you know, being submitted to, uh, to, to God and to the, those that God has put in our lives. The Bible says, submit yourselves one to another. Love one another. As we engage those, we find that we're moving closer to the divine timing of God in our life for whatever it is. I want to close by saying this. Jesus asked a very valid question in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. He said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find any that have faith on the earth? And it's a very valid question. You see, it is by being a person full of faith that we find the right place, the right thing, and the right results. If you are a person of faith, Peter was a person of faith. The fact that he was uh, 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 sometimes failing in his life didn't mean that he wasn't a person of faith. Elijah was a man of like passion, but he was called a man of faith, right? So if you are a person of faith, you are likely going to find the right place and the right thing for the right results. So what is the solution for lasting faith? What is the solution? Because if faith is the key for us to find the right place, because you need faith. You need faith to know this is the church you should attend, even if your friends are not coming here. You need to know that by faith, this is where God has planted me. I was talking to one of our members, I won't mention their name, we were talking and he said, Pastor, God has planted us here. It's good when people know they are planted in a place because you don't get, you don't, you don't prosper just anyhow as a believer. You prosper where you are planted. You don't just go to a place and say, oh, it's nice. They have a, they put a nice perfume on Sundays. So we're going to, you don't just do that. You ask the Lord, where do you want us to be? Where do you want us to serve? And you find that when you are committed to what God has called you to, that's where you prosper. I know a lady who went from one church to the other looking to marry. Actually, I've been a pastor for a long time. So I've, I know a guy too who did the same thing. They will go to the bigger churches to find someone. Actually, the lady told me, I can't find a husband here because there's not enough guys. And I said, no. And this, not this church. This was way back. I said, I said, no, you're not going to find a husband like that. You ask the Lord to bring you in contact with the person he has prepared, even if they are in, 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 you know, surfing on the Indian Ocean. They, God will cause your paths to cross somehow. Do you agree with me? You can meet your husband or your wife in the grocery store. These days you can meet them online, but you have to be careful with that so you don't get a kidnapper coming into your home. You know, 
But you can, you, God can arrange. Is there somebody here who believes that God can, can do anything? I don't, I, I don't hear your amen. Do you believe God can do anything? So God can arrange clients, customers. He can do anything. But are we praying? Are we calling? Are we banging on the doors of heaven to show us what to do? So she kept going around. And all the big places she was going, nobody was smiling at her. Nobody was even looking. Everybody was worshiping the Lord with tears in their eyes. Oh, oh Lord. And they were giving the Lord the praise. And she was busy there, not worshiping, looking at all the young men. And there was a lot of dazzling young men. It's the jet-setting church. It's the kind of church you want to go. The preacher is, you know, oiled in prosperity. God is moving. Healing's taking place. But she didn't get no husband. Because she wasn't looking up to God. She was looking at the crowd. You don't look at the crowd. You look up to the cloud. Because it's the, it's the cloud of glory. That's where the blessing is. Hallelujah. Okay, so <laughs> anyway. Jesus asked the question. So today, I want you to know that just as Jesus prayed for Peter in Luke chapter 22. Jesus prayed for Peter. He said, the devil has desired to sift you as wheat. But I pray that your faith should not fail. Friends, today. I pray for you that your faith will not fail. Do I hear an amen? And your faith will not fail in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want us to do as we close today. You are going to pray if your faith has been shaken by things you are going through, by the circumstances in your life, by the difficulties in your life, by the fact that, you know, maybe God brought you here today. Maybe you walked in because you are at a point in your life where, you know, ah, I don't even know whether God is going to move on my house. Well, you are actually the candidate for a miracle. Hallelujah. You are the one that God is looking for because he wants to pour himself in the empty vessel. The one who has tried everything and there's nothing. I don't know what to do anymore. He's coming for you. Hallelujah. Because he wants to bless you. But today I want to pray that our faith will not fail. I pray for you that your faith will not fail. Can you do me a favor? Can we rise to our feet?